before we can digest the excitement from Bahrain, it's already time to move on to the second round of the 2022 Formula One season. Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. This is episode 179, and today we'll be previewing the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Joining me today is engineering student Away Medford. Hello. And Adam Burns from the DNF1 podcast. Hi, everyone. We uh, may get a special guest appearance from um, Mikhail Katahar uh, later, but um, at the moment he's not with us. Um, so we'll just get straight into this. This is the second year that we've come to the Jeddah track. Uh, absolute carnage, if you remember last year, Owain. Um, not only with the battle that we saw with Lewis and Max, but you know we had multiple red flags. The horse was in the wall. Well, both horses were in the wall. Um, but it wasn't a track that was, you know, didn't seem overly safe or overly you know, actually good for racing. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to change this year. Um, I mean, you say last year, it was like three and a half months ago. Um, so, I mean, in some ways, I think there's going to be sort of, um, you know, obviously we've got the cars going a bit slower this year, but um, in, in the low speed corners. So that's going to probably affect the lap times in that way, uh, particularly sort of turns one, two. Um, and that's the only sort of slow corners on the track, really. Um, the rest of them are sort of medium to high speed corners. Uh, obviously, apart, oh, sorry, apart from turn 13, that's obviously the, the hairpin. Um, one thing I, th- I sort of see with it is that, yes, it is a street circuit, but it's basically purpose built. Um, and it's got a lot of high speed turns, which is where these cars seem to sort of um, benefit. Uh, bearing in mind, you know, we, we, I don't think we're going to see so many of the issues with the sort of lazy turning. Um, uh, the, and sort of, I, I imagine the cars actually, particularly ones maybe the surface uh, suffer from porpoising the most, uh, porpoising the most. Um, as we've obviously we've seen in Bahrain, that's a uh, you know a track that's an awful lot older, an awful lot bumpier, um, and obviously that caused issues for for numerous teams. Um, but I think, uh, bearing in mind the sort of the way that the cars are now. Um, it's it's or it's going to sort of hide some of the issues. We might see a, a slight reconfiguring of the order. It's a different track, like a uh, sort of different type of track, um, and we might see the teams that again do better in the medium to high speed corners, um, be uh, and are a little bit more um, uh, susceptible to porpoising. Um, might see them sort of uh, get closer to the pack, uh, have fewer issues. Um, when it comes to following, I think that is actually going to be a benefit with the new cars. Um, so hopefully we, we could get, a, you know, some, maybe, maybe a bit sort of safer and less crazy race, um, but sort of a bit more exciting in, uh, when it comes to wheel to wheel action. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> hit the nail on the head when, it, uh, when you're saying, I mean, the first sector, even though it's incredibly tight, it's still very fast. And then that entire third sector is basically foot to the floor. So it is going to be high speed, Adam. And, you know, with the modern uh, formula, and as Owen said, with the possibility that we did see in Bahrain, there was ability for closer racing. Um, you know, we could see a, a bit of a better race this year because all those issues have been running in dirty air, especially through high speed have now gone. Well, gone, not quite, but um, I guess the only issue for a lot of teams is going to be overheating you know following cars for so long being on the throttle for so long you know calling in these cars has proved quite an issue yeah particularly for the mercedes powered cars there seem to be a lot of overheating issues i think red bull were also plagued by 
some overheating as well. I think that was one of the issues Max Verstappen was complaining about before all of the other terminal problems started to rear themselves towards the end of his race. Um, so it's definitely something they're going to have to manage. I, I think that, you know, I was talking about this on my own show um, last night when we were doing the Bahrain review. And one thing I noticed was that even though some of the cars were able to follow a lot easier, I think particularly the Red Bull had this problem as well, that as a result of that, they were struggling from heating issues following the, the cars ahead of them. So in Max's case, he did have to back off a little bit because he couldn't follow Leclerc because of that problem. Um, and it's something that could plague some of the other cars where they may get a bit desperate and try to make the overtakes as quick as they can, which of course will be fun for us to watch if that's the case. Or they may have to try and give a few seconds of a gap to the car in front just to manage the car um, to sort of get through the race. Because right now, the, the name of the game is you really do have to try and get these cars to the end. Otherwise, you could potentially lose a big chunk of points, as Red Bull found out at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean, they, they found out um, big time, not only just uh, uh, Red Bull, but uh, also the sister team, uh, Alpha Tauri, uh, with that car um, setting on fire. Welcome, Mikhail. Um, glad you can join us. Uh, we're just Thanks. talking. Sorry about being late. It's okay. Uh, so we were just talking about the fact that we we're returning to Jeddah, uh, you know, four months after the last race. You know, with these new cars, we've talked about how, you know, these cars are better through high speed, that this crap track is incredibly fast. You know, what are your expectations for the race? Do you reckon it will be as chaotic as we saw last season? Or do you think it's going to be maybe a bit more ordered now that the drivers know how to race this track? I would actually expect it to be a bit more ordered, um, just in terms of people now know generally what the track is like. There isn't that many track-based um, anomalies maybe that are going to catch people out, so to say. But at the same time, I mean, we don't know exactly how these cars work under, you know, under, you know, a very fast conditions like in Jeddah. Neither do the drivers, so there's still a lot of room for error. But I would expect it to be a bit more orderly, especially in the race, than what it was before. I, I'm sure we'll still have um, some people overshooting the first corner, um, having some t entanglements in some of the bottlenecks that we had last year as well but i can't imagine us having such a chaotic race as we had last year yeah i mean it was <laughs> this was already mentioned an absolute mental race last year <laughs> with uh lewis and Matt coming together more times than i could possibly count uh during that race but enough about last year and all the the mess that went down we'll uh focus on this year and we'll start well, we may as well start with the team that tops the Constructors' Championship and the Drivers' Championship away in Ferrari. I think it's fair to say they've built one hell of a car and it looks fast. I mean, even just the Ferrari powertrains in general look very quick and that's going to play a huge role, especially if Red Bull are going to struggle with their engines. Yeah, um, I can't see... Uh, you know, unless we have a shock, unless they have a shocker, basically, you know, with the with the form of the, um, yeah, the form of the Ferrari and the Ferrari powered cars. Um, obviously, they've, they, they, I mean, they're they're three of the top four constructors right now, the Ferrari powered cars, and uh, um, obviously with the, with the race in Bahrain, and it doesn't look like they have any of the kind of other issues that are 
that might sort of rear their ugly heads for other teams. Um, obviously, we've had overheating issues, particularly with the brakes. Um, I no doubt the wheel covers are sort of um, adding to that for a lot of teams, but we haven't heard that for Ferrari. Um, they've, you know, they've got two drivers who know what they're doing. Um, they're not going to be sort of caught out by issues. The car looks nice to drive. Um, and I think the sort of formula that we're in now, um, because we're not, you know, we're, we're not uh, sitting at mass, you know, sort of a peak amount of grip um, at a high speed is that the cars look an awful lot more progressive when they do break away, um, which is sort of more controllable. And they're not going to snap on people like that. Um, you know, Ferrari looks, it, it, it looks, I mean, it, I, I would say they're probably in the best position of anyone on the grid. Um, based on the issues they have, you know, obviously they had um, some, uh, you know, a few issues with the sort of bouncing and things like that. But um, you know, they're in a good place. Uh, the momentum sort of has, has almost really kind of shifted to them. Um, the only people that can sort of challenge them, I think, are the Red Bulls um, for outright pace. Um, and even then, it, it looks like the Ferraris have built one hell of a car. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them um, challenging for the challenging for the podiums uh, uh for, sorry for the pole pole and, and the wins because um it just you know I, I think it's very early to say but they they look like they they're in that sort of ability where they uh, they've got a, they can go strength to strength they've got a bit of mojo um and and i think it's good i think it's going to be a good weekend for them yeah i was i was just about to say um to you adam that it may be a little bit early to be talking about the World Championship. This is a 23-race season. However, with the issues that Red Bull are clearly having at the moment and the fact that Ferrari have already got a 43-point lead in the Constructors' Championship, Charles Leclerc already bagged a win with Max scoring no points. You know, going well again here, which looks like it might be the case, you know, this, is, this race is massively important if this season is going to be as close as people think it might be. Yeah. And, and I certainly hope it will be, uh, you know, over the long haul, it's, it's one of those where Red Bull went into the first race of the season where after the first test, I think it was on the final day where Perez had set some good times in the morning, Max then followed that up in the evening. They all seemed quite buoyant and jubilant in the garage. I remember Dr. Helmut Marco especially was very happy at their progress. And it did seem that that was a clear indication that perhaps they felt that Red Bull had something or they'd found something with these new upgrades that would take them to the very top um, and give them a great opportunity to solidify their position as the team to be. I don't think they could have expected that as good as Ferrari did seem to be, that they would turn up in Bahrain and not only impress in qualifying, but also have them beat in so many different ways in the race. You know, I mean, we, we, we can look back at the race and think back to the pivotal moment where Max and Charles Leclerc were battling and Leclerc eventually won out. But it was one of those where even Red Bull themselves were admitting that even if Max had somehow got ahead of Leclerc and stayed there, at some point in the stint, Max's tyres would have gone and Leclerc would eventually would have got him back. It, it's another aspect where... For, you know, as Owain was saying, that Ferrari seems to have produced a, a car that ticks all the boxes, covers all the bases, and, you know, it might be a little bit early to say, but could produce, have produced something that could potentially be the championship winning car. Again, very early to say, but in terms of what Red Bull needs to do, whilst that is an obvious thing that they'll need to overcome with their own car, they will need to try and get down to the root of their own problems, which they suffered towards the end of the Grand Prix. And that is something that may not prove to be an overnight fix, kind of similar to what Mercedes have got with their own issues. So 
there's going to be a lot of pressure on Red Bull to bounce back. They, as you pointed out already, they've lost 44 points to Ferrari in the constructors, if we include Charles Leclerc's fastest lap as well. Um, there's going to be pressure on them already. You know, they could have uh, limped over the line with 30 points, a podium for Max or podium for Perez, and they got neither. So it's one of those where it's a long season. I don't think they'll be panicking too much yet, but because these races are coming thick and fast in the early days and the season will get a lot more dense in terms of races that coming ahead, um, they are going to have to figure out these problems very, very quickly because if Ferrari are as good as they seem to be, they may not get much of an opportunity to claw it back if Ferrari run off in the distance and and if Mercedes catch them up as well, as we expect them to. Yeah, true. You definitely bring up the, the Mercedes. Um, it's going to be a, a bigger problem for Red Bull than I'm sure that they were anticipating. But moving sort of focusing more on Red Bull, Mikhail, this is a the start of the season is rarely a double header. So usually, um, any issues that happen in the first week, Red Bull would have been able to take this car back to Milton Keynes, you know, run a few sims, figure out um, some of the problems, brought it back for the next race, and probably looked a bit more competitive. But the fact that they've only got a few days just to move their car from Bahrain to Saudi Arabia and then to race again means that we're very unlikely to see a bounce back unless they have already figured out what the issue was and have already sent out parts to, well, to fix whatever problems they were having with their engine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm not expecting them to, to be suffering from the same issues in Saudi Arabia that they were here. I, I would imagine that they're on top of that at least, but definitely we can't expect to see a, a car that's any better of a challenger to Ferrari than we saw in Bahrain because they can't really change much. Yeah, they can fix what went wrong and probably you know be back fighting for a podium and then trying to fight for a win with Ferrari, but I don't know how much how much they're able to do that in, in Saudi Arabia. And yeah, the, the, the question of Mercedes is also very interesting because if, let's say, Red Bull keep having these, uh, some technical issues, not, ne- not necessarily as major as they had in Bahrain, but let's say they keep having, you know, minor issues here and there that keep hampering them. I mean, it's only an expectation, but it is in my in my book as well that Mercedes will at some point be there up fighting with Ferrari, whether it's at the latter half of the season or whatever. And at that point, if Red Bull haven't been able to capitalize on what they still have a, a, an advantage over Mercedes, yeah, they're going to be struggling to keep that even P2, you know, assuming that Ferrari keep keep up their good work so far. So, yeah, it's not the, it's not an ideal situation to having these, uh, these races back-to-back either. No, not at all. But you do have to admit away, and if someone is going to drag uh, Red Bull through this, it is going to be Max Verstappen. I mean, Red Bull were far from the fastest car here last year, yet he almost stuck it on pole before he stuck it in the wall um, at the final corner. Yeah, so there's, there is maybe some hope for Red Bull fans out there that Max might be able to pull out a blinder on the Saturday and then just make that Red Bull incredibly wide. We know exactly how wide he can bait that Red Bull around this track. Yeah, to a certain degree, there's, uh, there, there's you know, uh, Mads Verstappen and, and um, Sergio Perez are not, 
they're not idiots. Uh, they, you know, they uh, Red Bull are gonna are gonna look at this. They're gonna analyze it. They'll understand the problem um, as best they can, if, even if they can make a short term fix. Um, I was thinking long term, maybe they could use a filming day to sort of do a, an extra bit of testing, if possible. Um, you know, that's that was that's that's sort of like a you know a really out there idea for them. But you know, they'll get on top of it. I mean, it's it's the sort of thing that you know you, you sort out. Uh, in in a week between a Grand Prix, but obviously the, they've not got the chance to do that. Um, you know, that's, that's that's just sort of off the top of my head something they could do to try and get on top of the issue. Um, but like as you say, um, it, it's a street circuit, and as much as yeah, it's a very very fast street circuit. It's a relatively wide street circuit because it's very built to Grade One standards for the FIA. Um, there's still the ability to, as you say, make the foot make that Red Bull very very wide. Um, run different strategies, you know, uh, run different strategies, run uh, maybe slower engine mode. And, and you, you don't have to be, you don't have to be either winning the champ, uh, sorry, you know, winning every single lap. Um, you just need to be sort of ahead for the last lap or or, or just consistently getting points. Um, that said, I, I do worry in some ways in that, you know, they've lost obviously a huge amount of points. Um, and it, it, you know, it's, it's it could be the difference between them you know, being uh, second and third in the constructors' championship, if, if if other teams get their act together, if Mercedes get their act together, um, it's it's obviously a lot of drop points. I just, um, I think I think they can do something with Jeddah. Um, I don't think this is uh, a completely lost cause. You know, we shouldn't be writing off uh, saying that they're going to be you know losing every single Grand Prix, retiring. They're not. You know, it's not it's not a V twelve Ferrari from the eighties. Like um, they. Red Bull know what they're doing. They've got a lot of smart people that they've poached from various different places, um, you know, building their engines. They'll get on top of it. They'll understand it. Um, and, you know, I assume at a certain point, we'll forget that this ever happened. Yes, uh, I'm sure Twitter probably won't forget that this ever happened <laughs> if, it, if anything happens further on into the championship. But uh, we'll now move on to Mercedes, Adam. And... You know what? Good haul of points. You know, in Bahrain, fifteen points for Lewis Hamilton, twelve points for George Russell. That is, well, that's twenty-seven points more than Red Bull have at this point. And while they do look off it, they're still there or thereabouts. I mean, their pace wasn't atrocious. Um, you know, Hamilton was, you know, not that far off the back of Perez for a lot of that um, that race. You know, George is still, you know, building himself up and just getting used to it. I think people would have predicted a worse start for Mercedes, possibly, but you know, I th- they have potential, don't they? There's clearly that they've got a, some sort of foundation to build from. Yeah, it always seems to be the enigma with Mercedes over the last few years that they always seem to produce a car that has bags of potential and they know it's a quick car, but they never seem to be able to get the 100% out of that car from what they understand at the first race. There's always a how do they put it? A diva kind of aspect to that car where we know it's fast. We just got to find that operating window, that magic, uh, that magic window, if you like, of performance where they can unlock it. And all of a sudden it's a world beater. Um, and the scary thought is, is usually when Mercedes do find that they go from strength to strength and it's a case of can everyone else keep up? And this year, I think it's probably been uh, how, how would I put this? It's probably been the biggest struggle for them since the start of the turbo hybrid era. You know, they find themselves in a position where I don't think they're as far off. They found themselves as far off from the lead car as they ever have been in the turbo hybrid era before. So, you know, in their minds, they're very much aware of the huge tasks that they face. They would have seen what Red Bull 
and Ferrari did at the weekend. And despite Red Bull's problems, I think it's quite evident that they are considerably quicker than Mercedes right now. That all being said, Mercedes looked really, really happy and jubilant with the result. Um, they seemed happier. Lewis Hamilton seemed happier on the podium than the two Ferrari guys. Um, and, and this is a guy we're talking about that's used to winning races, an outfit that's used to winning Grand Prix, winning world championships, the unprecedented success that they've had. Um, that's, you know, encored into their DNA. It's embedded with Mercedes and success. So for them, it's going to be a very, very difficult task because it does seem like they've got a quick car. But this porpoising issue has proved to be quite a problem for them, probably more so than any other team. It's not going to be one that they're going to be able to sort of get over quite easily. As as we've said before we went on, um, it's not something that they can run on a test track or in the wind tunnel because they're not allowed to do the testing and you can't really, really simulate um, the airflow effect of porpoising in, in the wind tunnel. It's just not possible for them to do that. So it's going to be a lot of trial of error, a trial and error. It may not necessarily be a problem they'll be able to fix in the short term, the only good news that we can say for Mercedes at this point in time is one, that obviously they've got a great result under the circumstances. Two, George Russell and especially Lewis Hamilton drove really, really well. Um, so they'll be very, very happy about that when they had to. Um, but the reality is, is that for the time being in race trim, they're finding themselves 35 to 40 seconds off the lead car before the safety car came out at that point of the race. And they still got the tyre degradation problems as well as everything else that they're going to have to solve as well. So, I mean, they were forced into a free stopper and that was before the safety car came out. So it's going to be a lot of questions for Mercedes to answer. Um, the good news for them as well, as you know, before I go on too much, is that we haven't got too many races in the opening, uh, opening part of the season. You know, the season becomes a lot more dense and, and condensed with more races later on. So that does give Mercedes a bit of time to get this right before we start getting... Uh, triple headers, etc., and stuff like that. So, um, I think they should be positive, but there is a huge task ahead of them. But if there's any team that can get it right, it's Mercedes. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on to, to talk about the porpoising issue. I mean, Mikhail, you're probably going to be hoping that George Russell and Lewis Hamilton are some good dentists because of how much of this track is flat out. That car is going to be, you know, absolutely bouncing. I mean, granted, this. This track is, you know, relatively new, if, well, very new compared to what we saw in Bahrain. But those porpoises issues could really have a, a massive effect on Mercedes, just given the fact that the main straight they're going to be doing it, the entirety of the, you know, middle and final sector is pretty much flat out. And yeah, it's, it's the, they're the one of two teams that haven't yet figured it out. And it's it could be a real hindrance for them. Yeah, I mean, the longer it continues, the, the more it's going to be a problem. I mean, later down the road, we're going to have races like Azerbaijan also, where you have like long straights where you're just going to be taking a battering with the, with the purposing issue. But yeah, that's a good point that it's like perhaps, I mean, it seemed from last year that Jedi is quite smooth in terms of there isn't much uh, issues with the track being uneven or whatever. But regardless, they're still going to have some problems with that. And I would assume that that's going to then influence, well, if nothing else, at least the morale of the drivers, because it's not fun if you have to drive 60 laps around a track and then you're bouncing the entire time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, to me, it seems quite weird that they're unable to, you know, have it fixed because, you know, we have this idea of Mercedes being, you know, the, well, not the aerodynamic geniuses that 
Adrian Newey is, but you know, quite close to that anyway, with their like best team of engineers. So the fact that they are struggling to figure this out when you know you have teams like like Alfa Romeo, for example, who don't, or or Haas for that matter, who who are doing fine. Yeah, it's it is odd, but it also seems like this is the if this is really the one little stone they have in their shoe at the moment, and when they're able to fix it, I didn't mean could be that they're, they'll jump right back up there and fighting for P1, P2. But at the moment, yeah, it, it doesn't seem that good. And it's it's very confusing that they are one of the teams who are, who are struggling with it the most. Yeah, it's not, it's not what we've, we've come to expect from Mercedes. They've always seemed to be the, the big problem solvers. And I'm sure, I think we're, we're all in agreement that they will get it sorted eventually. It is an issue that plagued early ground effect cars in Formula 1. If they were able to sort it, surely Mercedes in this modern era can also sort it. And if they don't, well, maybe they should probably look at some new staff. But, Owain, um, we'll move on to well, the team that sits um, fourth in the constructors at the moment, and that is Haas. No, sorry, third in the constructors. I mean, is Haas uh, thanks to Kevin Magnet, uh, Kevin Magnuson's great drive in Bahrain. Now, I think a lot of people are going to be going. Was it a one-off? You know, was mixed pace probably more relative, or are you expecting with that Ferrari engine in the back of that car that they may be able to get some more points this weekend? Well, I mean, I yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be a one-off. Um, you know, qualifying is obviously the the place where we look for outright pace, and um, you know, we, it, it can't be ignored that Kevin Magnussen was in seventh place uh, with his run, and Mick Schumacher got to twelfth. Um, I don't think that car is. I, I don't think. I, I don't think that car is um, particularly slow. I, don't, I think it maybe it's profited. You know, it's definitely profited a little bit. Um, you know, based off the, the you know the the last five uh, sorry ten laps of of Bahrain, um, but it's it doesn't seem to be plagued by some of the issues that other Hasses were with um, tire deck in particular. Yeah, it had um, you know obviously the safety car brought them back into contention and, and made it an awful lot easier. Um, but I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be a bad run for them. Um, you know. I, let's, I mean, not to get too much into the statistics, I just want to point out that Jeddah has a 100% red flag and safety car record um, right now. I guarantee we will see something go off. You know, as much as it probably be uh, slightly less hectic than last year, I guarantee we will see something happen. Um, and all you have to do is just be in the right place at the right time, um, you know, pick up a free pit stop or anything like that. Um, and you can put yourself in a, in a really great position. I don't think the Haas is... Uh, you know, it, that, that's not a Williams from Spa last year or anything like that. That's you, you uh, as much as it's a bit, you know, bit a bit crazy with what happened at the end. Um, that's by no means the sort of, um, I guess most out of position finish we've ever seen. Kevin Magnuson's been, you know, is, is a fast driver. Um, you know, hopefully Mick will sort of join his level. Uh, because obviously, you know, he didn't do so well in the race uh only reaching 11th which is still you know a gaining point uh, a gaining position and um you know just outside the points but um yeah i, th- I think that ha- the hasses are are in a lot stronger position than people think and i don't think the the third place that they've got in the constructors right now is a joke i think that is you know that might genuinely worry particularly the people in woking that you know 
Haas, of all people, you know, Haas, I, 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 we were saying before the season started that, you know, Haas has almost inherited this, you know, they've managed to get the millstone around their neck. Um, and uh, uh, they're kind of, they look like they're in a real, in a real position to actually fight, for, uh, to fight some of the teams um, that, you know, were, were laughing at them last year. And I think, I think, you know, I'm glad to see that. And I, and I hope that that sort of continues in Jeddah. Yeah, I mean, London Norris was, uh, I think a lot of people uh, thought he was joking um, before the start of, uh, um, I think before the start of the season, London Norris said that Haas were going to be their main competitors. I think a lot of people thought that was a joke, but uh, it's a material is quite well. And to be honest, Adam, any result is going to be a good result for Haas this year, given that Mick Schumacher ended up in the wall at Jeddah uh, last time out and Nikita Mazepin was involved in the big shunt. But, you know, if if Haas have this pace and have this sort of great momentum and there's so much positivity around that team at the moment, again, they can capitalise, you know, and get good points before the likes of maybe McLaren or Aston Martin start, you know, catching them in the de- development rates with their total grander resources. Yeah, and it may not necessarily be a simple fix for those teams either. I mean, one thing that we learned from... Uh, Bahrain is that the Mercedes power teams really did seem to struggle. I mean, it's not a good look for Mercedes in terms of uh, the power unit when the bottom six finishers were Mercedes power teams. Um, And we're going to a circuit where top speed and acceleration is going to be critical and you're going to need to find the perfect balance for that as well. So that's going to prove to be a real uphill battle for those teams, the likes of Aston Martin, McLaren and Williams in particular, if they want to compete on the level of Haas and, and even Alfa Romeo to a degree from what we saw last weekend, they're going to have a really tough time of it. And I think one thing that we learned was that there was a lot of expectation on Ferrari to get this power unit right. And there is a case that they may have turned up to 2022 in an era where the engine regulations freeze, or albeit the electricals can be improved or uh, in September. Um, but then nothing after that until 2026. But Ferrari may have turned up and produced the best power unit in Formula One right now. You know, again, early to say, but if that does prove to be the case, then teams like Haas and Alfa Mayo are going to be very much enjoying themselves up to a point where the Mercedes power teams can get to a level where their cars can match them stride for stride. And even then, they've still got that hefty power unit there. So, you know, I know we're a bit early for predictions, but right now, House and Alfa Romeo will be very satisfied with what they've got. And I'm sure they'll be looking forward to going to the next race as soon as possible because I think there's going to be more on the table for them. Yeah. Um, well, let's just hope there's nothing illegal about this Ferrari engine before the engine freeze comes in. Otherwise, uh... <laughs> <laughs> can't have that again. <laughs> they could certainly be in a lot of trouble, but um, we'll move away from uh, Haas now and move on to Alpine. Mikel, and to be honest, it was kind of just an understated race for Esteban Ocon. He just got on and got points. Fernando Alonso, I believe, finished just outside the points. Um, but, you know, this was a track that Alpine ran quite well out last year. Ocon was incredibly unfortunate to miss out on a podium, um, overtaken on the line by Valtteri Bottas. But... Um, for Alpine now, I think it's the focus is just making sure that their car is competitive as possible, especially when you know other midfield rivals may not be doing it as well as um, previously anticipated. Yeah, it's true. You kind of 
I mean, apart from the pink coloring or the pink li- uh, livery, I mean, you kind of miss them in the entire race. At least I did. Um, yeah, they just seem to kind of be, well, definitely better off than what Aston Martin and, and, uh, and McLaren look like. But it's it's tough to maybe get a read on them. And I mean, it's also difficult. I mean, we've been talking about like comparing the Ferrari engine teams compared to um, Mercedes engine teams. But I mean, since Alpine is the only one running a Renault engine, we don't actually know what's their deal with, what's their strength, what's their weakness. You know, maybe they have a great power unit and just awful aero or the other way around, who knows. But yeah, I mean, they they looked solid enough this weekend. I mean, you had Alonso get get the car into Q3, Ocon also can't remember where he was, but then wasn't far off, I think, in the quality. So it's an all right car. They seem to be able to fight for for points. So I'm not necessarily too worried for them. I think they're they're right in the midst with with the Alpha Romeos, I would imagine. So they're doing fine, but same thing as well as with like Haas and, and Alpha Romeo. It's like you're enjoying this period of Mercedes drought, kind of, at least what it seems like with the Mercedes engine teams. And then if they're able to really get over a few humps and then improve their cars, you know, maybe then they'll they'll drop down the order. But I don't know. Alpine is a is a difficult one this year, I think. Yeah, they are a very difficult one. And well, after this race, we won't see them in as much pink. Um, so they may go a little bit more invisible, but I mean, because said it's you know they're they're kind of just there at the moment. They are just in the midfield. They are getting on with business. I'm sure you know Espan and Fernando will continue to score points throughout the season, but it doesn't seem like they're going to go up or down, does it? It just seems like they they've they've nestled themselves quite nicely in the midfield and it doesn't really look like. They're going to be going up or down at all. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, really early to say. I don't want to make any too uh, too many predictions um, on it, but I, I think you know they they'll probably be consistent. I don't know whether that's going to pay off for them, but I don't know if the teams in front of them are going to um, be a lot more sort of, um, I guess, what's the word? A bit more erratic in their performances. Um, the Alpine though doesn't. You know, it's 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 not, but uh, it's not uh, in any way the most sort of dire situation on the grid. Uh, as Mikhail said, it's they're, they're kind of anonymous anonymous performance. The only thing that um, we can really say is that you know Esteban Ocon obviously turned Mick Schumacher into a spinning top, um, and obviously got a five second penalty to to boot on that. Um, I, other than that, I think that's the most sort of um, you know the the. The most we can say about them, though, I didn't really see any of them going in, uh, wheel to wheel on the racing. Maybe, maybe their strengths lie in other places. Um, obviously, Bahrain's a quick track. Uh, Jeddah could be a, a bit of a nightmare for them in that way. In that, you know, again, it's a, it's sort of the the, the high speed parts of uh, of Bahrain turned up to eleven. Um, you know, maybe they, maybe they're more suited to the sort of. Uh, Sort of low to medium speed corners. Um, either way, I I I, I worry. Um, bearing in mind that what what resources they should have, what they should be able to do, um, eight points is not a lot. Um, and yeah, it's it's relatively consistent from them. Um, that might come to save them at the end of the day. But um, you know, I, I don't see an awful lot of pace in the car, so I, I'm not. I I I, I do. There's a question mark for me above Alpine uh, about what they can achieve. 
Yeah, I, I don't think people are expecting fireworks out of the Alpine. Um, <laughs> and maybe before the season with the uh, with L plan, but I don't think it is actually going going according to L plan at the moment. Um, and Adam, yeah, as Mikel also said earlier, you know, one of the biggest um, rivals, uh, the, especially at the moment, is going to be Alfa Romeo. I mean, we saw what Valtteri Bottas was able to do um, in qualifying and then went home to score um, points, as well as um, Zhou Guan Yu as well, getting points on his his debut. You know, Alfa Romeo, they're, they're there, they're amongst it. You know, they are there to pick up the sort of the last pieces of the points and... If Bottas can continue his great Saturday form that he, you know, showed in Bahrain, then you know there could be plenty of points up for grabs for Alfa Romeo. Well, this is it, isn't it? Because when it was announced that last season that Valtteri Bottas was joining Alfa Romeo on a medium-term deal, when the option of Williams was available to him, I think everybody involved in F1 was thinking, "Why on earth is he going there?" It seemed like a team that had nothing to offer him. Um, in terms of a new project, in the same way that Aston Martin were offering a medium-term project to Sebastian Vettel. Um, and it just seemed like a place where he was just going to go and fizzle out into the F1 archives in the way that Kimi Raikkonen did towards the end of his career. Although, albeit Kimi did have a few golden moments left in him, uh, for, you know, for the fans. And we thought the same fate was set for Valtteri. And it, and it turned out to be quite the opposite. I mean, you rewind a few weeks ago when they were struggling in testing at Barcelona, like Casueras were. I don't think anybody would have imagined that um, they would have turned up to the first race and Bottas would have qualified well inside the top 10 and then finished sixth in the race. And in some ways, even though he did benefit from Red Bull's misfortune, you can't exactly argue that he didn't deserve a finish of that caliber, considering how bad the start of the race was for him. And he managed to recover that. And then you add in uh, Zhou Guan Yu, who's, you know, his F1 debut. It's going to be a lot of pressure on him, the first driver from China to race in Formula One. And you can't really say he put much of a foot wrong either. He went about his race really, really well. Um, and he was able to get into the points. And it was a thoroughly deserved points finish for him as well, which would be massive for Formula One. I think they really, really, really were hoping that Zhou Guan Yu was going to be better than I think a lot of people would have given him credit for. You know, he had a decent F2 career, but he didn't exactly set the world alight there. And I'm sure a lot of people would have felt he was there just on the base of the fact that they needed to get a Chinese driver in Formula One and the financial backing that he had. But he's proven a lot of people wrong already. And, you know, I, I think these two in this team and, and the way Alfa Romeo are going right now, I think they are well on their way to potentially having a solid season. As I said, very, very early days. But um, I, I'm, I'm just amazingly surprised by how well Haas and Alfa Romeo have gone around this first weekend. And I, I, as I said before, I don't see that slowing down, in at least in the short term. So it's a great, great start for these teams. And it really does breathe new life into this new era of Formula One. Because I think after testing, I think a lot of us casted both them and Haas to a degree. Maybe not so much Haas, but Alfa Romeo to the back of the field thinking they weren't going to do nothing in this midfield battle. And then it turns out they could potentially be one of the top teams to beat in this midfield battle. So um, it's really encouraging for them. And it, and it will give them a very, very nice morale boost in the team to try and push on from this and sustain that level of performance throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, I was I was certainly shocked. And, uh, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I did put Joe Guan Yu as my surprise of the season in the uh, in the predictions <laughs> that we did on this podcast. Um, and I'm glad to see that I'm not being totally proven wrong just yet. But, uh, Mikhail, you know, as a, as a fellow Finn, 
um, with Valtteri Bottas. You know, he said very publicly that he was unhappy with the fact that he was driving, you know, one-year contracts with Mercedes basically to constantly fight for his seat. And now he's been released for that. He signed a multi-year deal with Alfa Romeo. It does look like he's happier. It does look like he's, you know, more relaxed with the driving. And this is coming through in his driving. We're starting to see some of that really good racing that we used to see from Bottas back when he was at Williams. Yeah, he absolutely looks, you know, perhaps more at home with, with Alfa Romeo than he ever really did with Mercedes. Maybe with the exception of the first year at Mercedes, because there he was expected to be, he went in knowing he's a second driver and he went in knowing that as long as I'll do a good support, you know, I'll, I'll get that next one year deal, for example. But I think after the first year, it kind of, not that this relations soured or anything. I mean, you still see him, you know, very much chatting with, with Lewis and, you know, still talking with some Mercedes people, even messaging Toto after the quality from what I read. So it's not like there was anything, any bad blood there, but it just wasn't a, a conducive environment for him to drive well. Whereas now with, a, like you said, a multi-year contract, you know, and also a team that there isn't really a pressure to really perform um, for anyone else except yourself and, of course, the team. Yeah, he's, he seems to do very well. And I I think also, I mean, we've already been talking about Jules, like the combination with him and him and Jules, I think is can be very fruitful for Alfa Romeo this season and, and into the future as well, into 2023 and, and onwards, because... You know, he he's sort of playing that similar role as what Kimi was with Antonio, but from an earlier point with Ju, I guess, because he just came into the sport. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see how far they can take it. I mean, yeah. Are we going to see a podium from him? Probably not. But, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, stranger things have happened in Formula One. I mean, the Williams was on the podium last year. Um, so, Owen, moving on to McLaren now. I've been trying to push this off as much as I, as I can to talk about uh, my beloved team that is doing so terribly. But Bahrain was just a, is effectively just another testing session for McLaren. They they knew going into that weekend that their car wasn't going to be massively impressive. The you know fixes that they made to their brake dots were only going to be temporary anyway. And for Daniel Ricciardo, it was the first running he'd done in the in the car for over um, well for like two weeks. So, you know, I don't think we we're really expecting much from McLaren in this next race. But uh, I think it may be seen as a success if they don't end up if they don't finish nineteenth and twentieth. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it doesn't look good. Uh, it, you know, they've they've almost inherited the sort of has seat uh, of. Of Formula One, um, you know, we were saying obviously it was after the first test that you know has to are uh, having a bit of a nightmare, um, but you know, it actually looks like the nightmare is actually a McLaren. Um, obviously, the, the, the problems that they have, um, are only going to be exacerbated at Jeddah. Uh, you know, long straights, big stops, um, you can open up the brakes a little bit more, but then you're sacrificing uh, straight line speed, um, and it's just it, it seems like it doesn't even look like we're looking at the same team anymore. From what we saw in, in particularly in Barcelona, um, I, I, I hope they can turn it around. It's just weird uh, to see how how far they've fallen back. Um, I I don't know. I don't know what to think of uh, think of them. Hopefully that uh, this 
that you know this performance in Bahrain is just a really big blip. Um, but I don't see it being, uh, like, as I say, a really big blip. I don't see it being um, uh, just sort of a flash in the pan of, of, of a, a sort of a, a you know, a, let's say a twenty fourteen to. 16 Mercedes at, at Singapore. I don't think that that Bahrain for them is a boogie track, uh, yeah, a bogeyman track sort of uh, in this uh, in this era of rules. Um, I think I think this is going to be difficult for them. I, I don't, you know, it's it's similar conditions. It's similar, uh, you know, similar sort of, I guess, um, requirements for the car. Um, and you know, with a Mercedes engine in that maybe potentially is a bit weak, um, you know, they could find real issues. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if I see them going uh, going ahead of 19th or 20th in the, uh, you know, on in uh, sort of in the finishing finishing order on pure pace. I I, I think it's it's you know, you know alarm alarm bells have to be ringing, uh, and they need to get on top of this because. Um, you know, one of the things you want to be confident on, particularly places like this, is the brakes. Uh, you know, you don't want to be them, them to be, you know, overheating. And then, and unfortunately, there's not a whole lot they can do. I don't think they've got time to get on top of it, let alone anything else. You know, they've surely got the brains to go on top of it, but they they just don't have enough time. It's a temporary issue, like that would have flagged up in, you know, two, uh, sorry, one week ago. Um, they've got two weeks to sort it, and hopefully they can. Um, but I, th- I think the full extent of the problem still isn't, you know, still isn't on for them. So uh, it still isn't uh, known to them. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, the, the problem only gets harder from here. Um, and I think they'd be lucky to 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 get anywhere anywhere near the points positions, um, let alone anything else. Yeah, it does kind of make Lando's uh, 12th place in qualifying look almost heroic, um, considering how quickly both him and Ricardo dropped off the pace. And, uh, you know, Adam, I'm getting flashbacks to 2015, just watching the two McLarens run around at the back, you know, when they get Lando Norris coming over the radio going, uh, GP2 breaks, GP2, and then, and then eventually putting in the wall when they inevitably fail. But, it's not it's not the place where you want to see McLaren. You know they've been on such a good uphill, um, well, it's an upward trajectory over the last few years, and now to see them crash down, it's it's not think it's not something you want to see. No, absolutely not. And um, not to drive the knife in, but I'm surprised. And this is a terrible joke, but I'm surprised that no one has tried making the joke yet that perhaps McLaren should have got a sponsorship with Internet Explorer rather than Google Chrome. Um, so I do apologise to McLaren fans on that one. And um, it, it's a really, really strange one. I, I don't take pleasure. You know, I joke about it, but I don't take pleasure in seeing a team like McLaren who, you know, t- like Ferrari had aspirations of making that next leap forward um, to challenge the likes of Red Bull and Mercedes. I think arguably because of the fact that they were upgrading their wind tunnel and simulator to the level of what Ferrari have now and, and, and Mercedes and Red Bull have by 2023, we weren't expecting them to produce a championship winning car potentially until 2024. That was what McLaren's aim was in the short term, but they did expect to try and make a leap forward. And and based what we saw in testing, we thought that they were going to be potentially challenging Mercedes, Um, you know, and so to fall so far back in the pecking order after the first race, is definitely a worry for them. And I really, really hope for what it's worth that they can find a solution 
um, in the short term that will allow them to sort of be a bit more representative, even if they end up somewhere in the sort of upper midfield and potentially challenging the likes of Haas and Alfa Romeo. I think McLaren will very much hope that that is something that they can achieve in the short term and they'll see where they go from there. Because I just can't, I can't believe that that car is really that far off the pace. It just doesn't make any sense. None of the stuff they did in testing would suggest that either. So perhaps there is something there with the brakes and, and perhaps a few other issues that we're unaware of at McLaren that they can try and address in the short term and find a fix for. Because I, I honestly am I'm flabbergasted as to how they were so far off the pace. I mean, you can look at the overheating issues. I mean, Aston Martin, I think they had their own overheating issues. I think it was Nico Hulkenberg on the radio. They told him that he couldn't come into the pits because the car was so hot. Um, probably because those brakes probably would have set a light if they'd stopped and there was no cooling whatsoever. So it is something that McLaren are going to have to get on top of, as are other teams in that sort of ballpark. I just really hope for their sake that they're able to find something that will allow them to return to where they feel they should possibly be in the short term and that they're not stuck with a car right now, which is massively underwhelming compared to where we thought they would be. Yeah. I mean, as a lifelong McLaren fan, it's, it's really not, it's really not what I was expecting and really not what I was, I was hoping for, but go to a team that had a very 50, 50 race in Bahrain, uh, Mikhail, and that was Alpha Tauri, the, currently the last of the point scorers in the Constructors' Championship. Um, we all know what happened to Gasly. His car set on fire. But, you know, Sonoda was still able to get points. Um, you know, his qualifying may not have been great and maybe a bit underwhelming to some people, but his race pace was was very solid. And it looks like maybe finally Yuki is starting to get settled and maybe expect a, a few better things from Sonoda this season. Yeah, I mean, Yuki had a very, you know, solid weekend. I mean, he wasn't able to really match Gasly in the race, I don't think, before his, his retirement, but um, or his fire would be more accurate, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. I Before the season, I really wanted to bet on, like, Gasly still being, you know, very close to the best of the rest type of thing, saying that there is now top three teams and then... You know, behind Mercedes, like uh, Ferrari and, and Red Bull, he would be the the next one up there. Not so sure now with uh, with Haas and Alfa Romeo, but he still was up there. Um, and he still was in the points before, or in competition com contention for the points before his car caught on fire. So you know, the the car doesn't seem too bad. And you know, like you mentioned, Yuki got into the points, didn't make any mistakes um, in the race. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, it wasn't as flashy of a performance as as what Yuki's done a few times last year, but it was still solid. Uh, brought points to the team when it was needed. I mean, I think it's clear for everyone that Gasly is still the number one in that the team, at least you know in the beginning of this season. So when he's not able to score points, not to his own error this time, obviously, but still, yeah, Yuki was there, so. You know, it's a, a solid result and, the, you know, they have room, you know, some building blocks to go from here. Yeah, they definitely do. And, Owain, I mean, of course, they have their own engine issues. Um, with it's, it's not, it's a rare sight that we really see, you know, engines go up like that um, these days. And then also, of course, they're running the same engines. The one is Red Bull. 
is there going to be concern at AlphaTauri that, you know, not only did their engine fail, but Red Bull's engine fail and they're starting to then maybe be slightly concerned about, you know, their, the Red Bull engine that they're going to stick in the back of that car because, you know, through no fault of their own, they've already probably, you know, cooked one engine and they've only got so few left for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think you'd be a fool not to be concerned if you're a, a member of AlphaTauri sort of management. Um, but I think, you know, it's a, I, that's, it's a, one of those things that's almost out of their hands. Um, you know, obviously it's Red, it's Honda Racing Corporation and Red Bull Powertrains to uh, deal to sort it. Um, I think you have to just, you know, hope for the best and prepare for the worst. If you're if you're AlphaTauri, you're you're just the one taking the engine. Um, you know, I, I think they'll have some input into it, but you know, they're not going to have a massive amount because obviously the the uh, you know the rebels are going to have the most. Uh, you know, they're going to have the lion's share of of resources put into it. I imagine. Um, obviously, the MGUK fe- failure is uh, sort of worrying. Um, um, you know, that's that's obviously a lot more, a lot of kind of different to the fuel pump issue that uh, played the Red Bulls. Um, whether that fuel pump issue is something that would be transferred across, I don't know. I don't know how in depth those systems are linked. I don't know whether they're the uh, that, you know that sort of system is shared between the Red Bull and the uh, AlphaTauri. In which case, you know that's that's uh, really something you'd be want to be worrying worrying about. Um, I think the sort of the weirdness of the Red Bull issue when it comes to the fuel pump is um, sort of something that I, I I almost find it hard to quantify. Um, I don't think we know enough. I don't think we. I can't. I don't think um, we can get sort of an accurate look on how that's going to affect AlphaTauri. Um, based on we know so little about it, we don't know if it was sort of user area at Red Bull specifically, or or whether that's uh, something for Red Bull powertrains. Um, so I, th- I, I, yeah, as I say, I think there's cause for concern, but I think the only you know they'd be better uh, sort of suited. Um, Using their resources, using their, uh, you know, n- not worrying about something they can't control, um, and, and just you know getting on with the job at hand, and you know, just putting in the best performances you can, because um, you know it's clearly shown that uh, Yuki can get to the end of the race. Um, it does issue. Uh, you can get to the, Yuki. Sorry, can get to the end of the race. Obviously, you'd be a bit worried. It might you might get the failure next week or or something like that. Um, Long term. I think, as you say, you're probably right. That you know that is an engine that's gone. These things are limited. Um, they'll salvage what they can, but um, you know they've they've just got to do play play the hand they're dealt. Yeah, very much so. And being the sister team, they are very much at the at the uh, the mercy of the main Red Bull main Red Bull team. Now we'll move on to Aston Martin, um, Adam, and of course they had Nico Hulkenberg come in. Um, for Sebastian Vettel, I think that probably will still be the case. I don't know when Vettel's isolation period ends and whether or not he'll be well enough to drive the car. But even if if Vettel isn't in the car, I think you know having Nico Hulkenberg, you know, show that he was he was very strong. You know, he did he came did what he needed to do. Um, and if he's in the car this weekend, I don't think people are going to. Be, People at Aston Martin is, um, are going to be too worried that he's going to be in the car. Yeah, I think overall Hulkenberg did a relatively good job. I think over the course of the weekend, he 
was able to get up to speed relatively quickly. Bear in mind, we're talking about a guy here that had no live running in the car before Friday practice. Um, most of his, you know, most of what he knew about the car was in the sim. And evidently from what we've seen uh, throughout the season so far is that the sim data is practically useless almost compared to what we saw on the track. You know, as good as these sims are, they just did not allow drivers to anticipate some of the issues that they were going to face in the real world. Um, so it was always going to be a difficult task. I mean, we talk about how great Kevin Magnussen was, and it really, really was something special, we must admit. Um, but K-Mag had a few days of running in that car at Bahrain before he ended up doing the race itself. So he obviously had more of an advantage than what Hulkenberg would have had. But all that said, Hulkenberg did a solid job considering where the car seems to be at now. Of course, we probably should expect when Sebastian Vettel does come back, whether that be at the Saudi Grand Prix or maybe he might need a bit more time to recover from COVID like Ricardo probably does as well. Um, we might see the true pace of that Aston Martin. I don't think Lance Stroll is really the barometer for or the blueprint for where that car performance is with all due respect to him. So the fact that Hulkenberg was able to get to Lance Stroll's pace and until the very later stages of the race pretty much was beating him for most of it. Um, and the strategy just didn't really work out for him and Stroll was able to take advantage of that late safety car to get to P12. Um, and that's probably the only compliment you could probably pay him throughout the whole weekend. So overall... If Hulkenberg has to drive in Saudi, which I wouldn't be surprised if he does, owing to the quick turnaround and COVID restrictions that might be between countries and travelling, etc. Um, I think we could see a weekend where we might see a bit more from Hulkenberg. Um, I don't expect it to be one of those where he's going to get a huge amount of points if the performance trends tend to stick to where they were in Bahrain, unless we have some crazy stuff happening like we saw last year at Saudi Arabia. Um but I wouldn't exactly say no to Hulkenberg sneaking into the points if he's able to keep his nose clean quite literally and, and drive as solid as he did this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of time for Hulkenberg. So uh, if he does drive, hopefully he does well. Yeah, exactly. I can't say I don't absolutely love Nico Hulkenberg. And, it was, and uh, every time he comes back into Formula 1, it's always a great uh, pleasure to watch him race. But Mikel is going to be a tough season for Aston Martin. I mean, they didn't, really look particularly quick in testing. I don't think any of us really expected them to be um, competing with any of the sort of top three, uh, four teams. And that's definitely come to fruition. They were running very much near the back for a lot of uh, that race, fighting with the Williams and Mick Schumacher. And it's something you'd expect from them again this weekend, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm assuming. I mean... It's 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 sad to see him down there, and yeah, it's 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 a difficult question of whether or not we saw the absolute truest of of pace there in in Bahrain without Sebastian being there. Yeah, I'm not expecting that much I from them even now. I mean, with the Mercedes engine being you know what it is, at least what it looks like doesn't help them at all with the, the massive strays that they have in Jeddah. So I don't know, maybe, I mean, Adam brought a good point that maybe Nico might with, you know, more experience in the car and, and everything, maybe he might be able to fight for points by, I, I really struggle to see, see that happening without something really happening, really taking place in the front of the front of the grid. So yeah, it's it's a disappointing start to the season for them and and you know to be fighting Williams at the back, Williams and, and McLaren at the back. It's a 
yeah, it's just it's unfortunate, and I don't know if this this is kind of I guess it's it's echoing what we were talking about, what Bottas's potential scenario was going to be just fading away, and this is really just hammering that home for Sebastian. I guess the, this is just not the type of season you want to have at, at this point of your career. I guess. No, not not at all. I think uh, we were all kind of excited with Lawrence Stroll and his money, and I'm sure that will come to fruition for Aston Martin at some point. But there's definitely some big problems that um, that they need to to overcome first before uh, they can start mounting anything promising and well lasting. Um, away, we'll. Uh, move on to the the very final team, and that is Williams. You know, back to, uh, back at the very back, but uh, well, not very back, but back right um, to where we saw them a couple of seasons ago. Albon was able to do some good stuff. He was racy. Latifi very much was sort of kind of plodding along. Uh, I can't really see them <laughs> fighting any any other teams rather than. Maybe the McLarens and the um, the Aston Martins. Yeah, um, it, <laughs> I hate to harp on too much about the sort of state of the Mercedes power unit right now, and uh, you know I don't think it's terrible, but um, you know it does seem like they're sort of in a in a you know in a Formula Mercedes kind of class um, where they're just bolting obviously that power unit into the back of each of their cars and not particularly they're not going particularly quickly with it. Um, I don't think. Uh, I don't think Latifi is fast enough, really, um, to be pulling out miracles. Um, I don't think. I, I think you know he's, he occupies a similar sort of space as Lance Stroll, but with a, le- a bit less money behind him. Um, Alex Albon obviously has been racing DTM for a year. I think that's going to take its toll a little bit. Um, you know, in comparison to driving an F1 car. Um, and you got to remember that Alex has now to to get his head around Jeddah. Um, he's never raced there before. You know, he, he's probably done some silly simulator work for Red Bull Racing, but. You know, uh, uh, that that was probably on, you know, last year's car in a simulator where and, and, and you know, he's got to take that what he's learned and, and apply that to uh, a new car, uh, a new car at new track. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can see that being difficult, um, but I'd love to be surprised. Um, I don't think I'm going to be, um, but it's just I think it's a. It's a long old slog. It's just a. It's a bit disappointing for Williams, unfortunately. Um, I think they had the the sort of I don't know the, the ability to do stuff. They, they had they had a lot of potential. I think um, with obviously with the, you know the the kind of development that they've got uh, access to now, uh, development time, development um, parts, and development uh, and, and allocation when it comes to the cost cap and things like that. Um, but it's it's unfortunate. It seems like it's more of the same um, for for the Grove outfit. So, um, you know, I, I think we're going to be waiting a while longer before we see them um, get some points again. Yeah, it is a real shame because, you know, I, I see people on Twitter going, oh, it's great to see that, it, like back in the 1980s, it was great to see them, uh, the Williams and the McLaren fighting for wins and now it's, oh, it's great to, <laughs> not so great to see Williams and McLaren fight for, well, effectively last place. Um, but I don't know what we can really say about uh, Williams Adam I don't think expectations were very high for them going into this season those sort of well that sort of lack of faith has come to fruition and it does seem like it's going to be another year of potentially bat markers along with the rest of the sort of 
the struggling Mercedes sort of gaggle at the back of the, of the grid? It's a tough one because I don't necessarily think Williams have produced a bad car. I think for what it's worth, I don't think anybody has gone out and produced a bad car. I think everybody's done a relatively good job. However, someone has got to be last. And at the moment, it does seem like that is Williams at the moment. Um, their car is quite interesting because they seem to have gone a bit halfway house with what Mercedes have done and what some of the other teams have done on the side pods. You know, it's almost like a semi-hide pod concept. And perhaps like Mercedes, they are themselves are struggling to try and get to terms with it and may feel that there's plenty of potential in this concept if they can get it right. Um, that being said, you know, the driver lineup, it does seem that a lot of their hopes this season are going to weigh heavily on what Alex Albon does. Um, Alex proved to be very, very good. He managed to get into Q2 despite the odds, you know, so there is definitely that to look forward to. And hopefully he might be able to sustain that level of performance, uh, you know, albeit for as long as Red Bull allows him to stay in that car. That could be a year, that could be two years. We, we don't know. So for the moment, um, I, if I was at Williams, yeah, it would be disappointing to think that they've done, a, they feel like they've done a good job rolling that car out. And then it turns out it's still last. Um, and, and what's worse is that Haas and Alfa Romeo, their rivals last season, who they did beat all ends up, have made massive strides forward. Now, we don't know if that's just the power unit or if it's a combination of that and the car. I think for their benefit, I think we can credit them with with the latter. So it's a lot for Williams to ponder on. Um, they need to make use of this new Mercedes partnership with the gearbox element as well that they've introduced um, for this season. So... They've just got to keep sticking at it. Uh, I'm hoping that because this midfield is quite tight, with all due respect, when we go to other races, which might be a lot easier for the team struggling with cooling and uh, perhaps not as uh, efficient in, in the straight line as some of the others are, we might see this midfield battle take some twists and turns where Williams might find themselves higher up and potentially on the verge of points. Um, so, as I said, it's a long season. It'd be ridiculous for any of us to draw conclusions right now. But at the moment, I think Williams will have to... Uh, pull their socks up and really work hard if they're going to salvage um, some better performances this season. Because at the moment, whilst they might be happy with what they produced rolling out in testing, um, everyone else seems to have done a slightly better job than them so far. Yeah, I think you put it, you sort of hit it on the head when you said someone's got to be last. And unfortunately, it is Williams. And they, they it's been like that for the last, you know, Minus, of course, as hard as calamity last year, but uh, it, it has just been them. But you know, we've now spoken through all all ten teams, and now it's time for our predictions. Um, as always, so we'll kick it off with the podium predictions uh, first, and we'll start with you, Mikhail, on who you think is going to be on the podium for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. I would put Max first, but I think that's the easy one there. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go Max Leclerc Science. I I have trust in the in in the Ferraris to get a double podium, but I feel that especially I mean we already underlined it in the beginning that you know, how far Red Bull and how far Max are now behind in both championships. So they'll really, not that it's, you know, not that it's not early in the season, so not really need to smash it out of the park, but at the same time, they kind of do. They can't have a, a disaster two weekends in a row. 
So I think they'll come back with a with a vengeance. So yeah, I'll go for a Verstappen Leclerc science. Okay, Owen. Um, I've got faith that Red Bull are going to get on top of their issues, and I think bearing in mind the straight line speed that they seem to have, um, you know that that massive advantage. Um, I think they can probably sort of sort out the brake issues that uh, they were suffering with, or at least overheating issues. Um, so I, I think you know Max Verstappen is probably the number, you know, the person that they could put forward in that team. So I think it's probably going to be, you know, Max Verstappen win, um, Carlos Sainz in second, and then a, and Perez third. Okay, there's a clown on the podium, Adam. It's a tough one to call. Um, you know, based on what we saw in the first race, I think we learned a great deal about Ferrari that it wasn't a full storm. They actually really do have. Uh, a car that's capable of winning Grand Prix and maybe could sustain a championship challenge. Um, what we did see is that the Red Bull does seem to have the advantage in the high-speed corners. Um, it was quite apparent that Red Bull do have a lot of straight-line speed. I mean, Verstappen was absolutely rapid when he was trying to get Leclerc in the DRS zone. That being said, you could argue from a Ferrari perspective that perhaps they do feel confident with their engine from an acceleration point and perhaps they do have more speed there, but they'd set their car up to a way where they could be fast in the corners and fast enough in the straights. So going to a track like Saudi, we may see a different element of Ferrari where they may set that car up to be more powerful on the straights than it was, which may match up with what Red Bull were doing in Bahrain with uh, Max Verstappen and in particular. So with all that in mind, and I think also the fact that Ferrari looks like it's a lot kinder on its tyres at this point in time as well, which I think is going to be another critical factor on strategy, and they seem to have more flexibility than Red Bull do. Um, I'm probably going to back Leclerc to make it two out of two, but I'm going to think Max is going to come second and it's going to be tight. I think strategy and flexibility will prove to be what favours Leclerc in this battle with Verstappen at Saudi, and I think Carlos Sainz will be P3, but I think he will be in that fight as well to win the race. Well, I'm not going to buck the uh, the whole um, Ferrari and Red Bull trend because I'm, but I'm going to agree with Adam. I'm I'm going to go with Leclerc for the win. I think there's just so much positive momentum going with Leclerc, and I honestly think he'll be able to pull out of the bag in terms of tire management and just general sort of pace over long runs. Uh, second place, though, I'm going to go Max Verstappen, and then in third, I'm going to go Sergio Perez. So. Uh, that is my podium, but now it's time for your bold predictions. Um, and consider I've, I usually take me a while to figure one out, but I actually came up with one uh, just while I was thinking. And my bold, I'm gonna just gonna kick it straight off and say my bold prediction is that both McLarens get out of Q1. That's gonna be my that's my bold prediction. Uh, Pretty harsh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a team that I love, but. Um, <laughs> Mikael, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's sort of sad that it's come to that as well about being a bold prediction. But um, ah, I don't know. Um, yeah, sure, both uh, Alfa Romeos in Q three. I mean, <laughs> I think Zhu, it's close enough, but I think he might be able to do it. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that's possible. Of course, he does have he does have experience racing at the track. He raced there in um in mm. Formula Two last year. So, who knows, Owen? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Valtteri Bottas to get on the podium. That's what I think it could happen. 
it could. It could. We've, as we said, like after things have happened and considering how chaotic this race could be, you know, it's a race. It could be very much a race of attrition. And finally, Adam. I mean, I love a wine's predictions. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go as bold as a wine, but I think this one might be bold as a statement and what it means. But assuming that there are no retirements for either driver that acts as a caveat for this and the possible issues with porpoising that Mercedes might have at a circuit like Saudi, which could really hurt them if they don't address it sooner rather than later, I'm going to predict that Valtteri Bottas beats George Russell in a straight fight. Okay, then. <laughs> that is, yeah, I mean, it's not an actual fist fight, obviously, but uh, yeah, in, in, I'd, watch, in, I'd watch that instead. Sorry, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting on Christian Horner and Toto Wolf to have that cherry boxing match They're in Saudi Arabia. Well there, you, well, there you go, it's a perfect venue. We've had heavyweight fights there before, so exactly. it's a <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we all went pretty out there with our, with our predictions, which is <laughs> the fact is like. We're still so new into it into this season that any prediction can be a bold prediction because we really don't know what's going to be happening from race to race and we don't know how quickly these cars are going to develop. So who so knows? The, the form book's so thin at this point; it may as well be made of uh, cigarette paper. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, so now that we've heard all our predictions, that is all from us today. Um, if you're listening to the show, um, what's this come out? Um, we do live stream all of our shows on YouTube. So if you go to the F1 Grid Talk um, YouTube channel, click subscribe, hit the notification, you'll get notified when we go live. We do live stream all of our shows. So if you want to listen to them early as well as interact with us, ask us questions in the comments, um, you know, go to our YouTube channel, hit subscribe, and yeah, you'll get access. Um, early access to every single one of our podcasts. Um, but if you don't want to subscribe, you can also listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Omni Studio, Verbal, as well as the F1 Chronicle website. Just search for the F1 Grid Talk podcast. And also, if you are a SkyQ or Sky Glass customer, you can find our podcast, which is featured um, on the Sky Sports F1 page, um, which is lovely. Thank you, Sky. Um, even though I don't think all of us watch your coverage. Um, <laughs> we also have a huge back catalogue of shows. So if you're stuck, in, stuck for something to listen to in the very short period between this podcast coming out and the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, we have over 170 shows for you to listen to, including interviews with Mario Zola from Pirelli. It's more documentary styles about Tygate, Ayrton Senna and the 1994 Benetton Conspiracy. We also have our new Fireside podcast, which goes out with Tom Horrocks, where he has various guests who he comes on to interview. So make sure to check them out as well. Also, if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, we'll give you a shout-out in our next show. And if you give us a review on Spotify, which I believe you can do now, um, that is also greatly appreciated. Uh, we have a Patreon, so if you want to support the uh, podcast and help towards better mics, lights, and better just general recording equipment, um, we always try to make our, our podcast as high quality as possible. Any support is greatly appreciated. And finally, um, just get the plugs from from everyone on the show so starting off with you adam where can we find more of you uh, so uh, as uh, some of your followers might know i'm the host of dnf1 
And uh, we're a podcast just like you guys, talking all the great news, events and races in Formula One, do race reviews, previews and interview special guests as well. And you can find us on all major podcasting platforms as the ones you've just mentioned. Just type in DNF1, F1 podcast. And uh, you can find us on YouTube as well, where we do a video version of the DNF1 podcast as well. Just type in DNF1 on YouTube and you'll be able to find us on there. Brilliant. And away. Uh, yeah, uh, not really had a chance, obviously, with the with the week being a bit hectic, um, and then a train strike, so I got completely stranded, and I couldn't do it. Um, when, but normally, I take a sort of a lighter look uh, at uh, the sort of week's events. Um, so we look at it through the lens of memes because that's the only way that I guess we can process things now. Um, so I just take you the top ten memes, have a little look, have a little fun, have a uh, sort of poke uh, at the week's action from uh, from the race. Um, and it's just, I, I, I like to frame it as a way to sort of escape maybe some of the more toxic uh, areas of the Formula One fan base. Um, try and look at it with a little bit of levity um, and just, you know, have a little bit of fun with it. Um, you know, bring the humour back in. So uh, that's available on sportlightpro.com. Brilliant. And Mikhail, finally, where can we find more from you? Uh, yeah, I haven't been up to much. Lately, is we'll come back to the podcast for after a few months. But um, yeah, you can find me with uh, Mikhail KDJ on Twitter. Don't do much. Haven't been doing much tweeting lately. Also, I've been doing some stuff in the past for uh, Sportlight Pro as well. So you can find some of my stuff there. Excellent. And finally, from me, if God forbid you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, it's at l underscore g underscore Edwards. So if you want to just see me cry about McLaren on a, on a race weekend, you'll probably be able to find me there. Um, otherwise I do do some session reports for Spotlight Pro as, as well. And I also have the, the odd opinion article where I mostly just bash, uh, drive to survive, but it's all in good fun. <laughs> so, um, I want to thank all my guests, all the guests for joining me today. And we'll be back this weekend with your qualifying and race reviews as normal. But until then, stay safe and goodbye.